Welcome to another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Um, Actually, it's not us, it's just me. And we're going verse by verse through these scriptures. We're in Revelation chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. I don't think this one's going to take that long to get through, uh, but who knows. And then we'll go right into Revelation chapter 13 in the next episode. We're just going verse by verse through Revelation, we've gone through First Peter and Second Peter, First and Second and Third John and Jude. I think that's all. I can't remember, but uh, there's something wonderful about just walking through the Scriptures. We've used the phrase "perspicuity" before. It's a fancy way of saying that God intended the Word of God, His words, to be understood. And, of course, the most practical way to understand them is to study them, to exegete the Scripture, to use proper hermeneutics. I'm using some long words already. It's basically the study and application of the Word of God, but the study of getting the words right from the original. and It it, it takes effort. Yes, it takes work, but it's worth it. God intends us to understand His Word, and this is I'm saying this now because it's most misunderstood in the book of Revelation, where people escape into mysticism, allegory, and all kinds of stuff. But we are on chapter 12. We are here. We're almost finished with chapter 12, and we continue to go through it. It makes sense. It makes sense not only in Revelation, but it links up with what Jesus said, how He described it how he described the tribulation, the end times, Ezekiel and Daniel, and all throughout church history, or rather the Israelites' history, (laughs) the history of the Israelites. I'm basically saying through all of the Bible, there there is an understanding of what's happening at the end. And when you're reading this, it makes sense because it's already been said and described in Daniel, Ezekiel, and in the mouth mouth of Jesus, I mean, through his own words. So let's get into it. Revelation chapter 12. I'll remind you the seventh trumpet was blown back in chapter 11, remember? So we, we go through all of these seals, and then the seventh seal has the seven trumpets, and then the seventh trumpet's going to have seven bowls that, that come out of it, And so basically, a lot of the rest of these chapters are going to be describing the tribulation and the last three and a half years of the tribulation. But right now, we're taking a little respite, if you want to call it that. Chapters 12 through 14 are basically uh, the enemy or Satan's perspective. And then in chapter 15, we'll get back into what happens after that seventh trumpet is blown. Okay, so it was blown in chapter, the trumpet was blown in in chapter 11, 12 through 14, we're going through Satan's perspective of what's going on in the tribulation, and then we get back in chapter 15. Just give you a little background to help you. Let's get into Revelation chapter 12, and uh, there's a war on the earth, okay? And when the dragon, which is Satan, saw that he was thrown down to the earth, remember from last time, He persecuted the woman, who is Israel, who gave birth to the male child, the Messiah. But she could, but the two wings of the great eagle, sorry, were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water 
like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So we've mentioned this in another podcast or two, but it is interesting to track the history of the Jewish people, just to track their history and see how much the enemy has fought against God's covenant people. Israel has suffered, really, from the hands of Satan from their inception. And and we even see this when uh, Israel was defeated, the northern kingdom, in 722 B.C., and then the southern kingdom, Judah, in 586 B.C., then throughout history, I mean, even 1290, King Edward uh, the first banished the Jews from England and, and the Spaniards, and there there was all there's all kinds of of history, evidence, proof that the Jews have been a persecuted people. In Stalin's reign, nearly three million more Jews were killed, and of course, we know uh, from our recent history, the Holocaust and the over six million Jews that were that were killed then. You know, that fact alone, just if you follow the history of the Jewish people, would make you wonder, what in the world is going on? Why? Why would that be? Well, it's the fact that Satan hates God's covenant people, and they still have a covenant. As a matter of fact, John Phillips wrote this about the burning bush. Uh, the story in Exodus of how Moses was called to lead the people out of bondage. He says, that bush, I'm quoting, that bush clearly symbolized Israel, which cannot be consumed despite the ceaseless hatred of her foes, because God is in her midst. Israel cannot be assimilated into the nations, nor can she be exterminated by the nations. She is a burning bush in the wilderness, end quote. Isn't that beautiful? No matter what the enemy tries to do, the Jewish people will still be around, even if only a remnant. This is no guarantee that they will all be around, but it is guaranteed that God's covenant people are going to be a part of the tribulation. There's going to be 144,000 of them that will be evangelists. There's going to be a massive revival. As much as there's a massive tribulation and death and destruction, there's also going to be a massive revival of Jews becoming followers of Christ through, uh, throughout the, the tribulation. Jesus, of course, describes this as a great tribulation, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. He says that in Matthew chapter 24. You know, the more you study the book of Revelation, the more you see how much Jesus spoke of it very clearly. So what's going to happen in the tribulation is the enemy is going to savagely uh, go after the Jewish people. At first, of course, he's going to raise up this Antichrist, totally influenced by Satan, and he will look like a protector 
of the Jewish people, and then he will turn on them in the last portion, the last three and a half years of the tribulation, he will turn on them, and it'll be uh, destruction like has never been seen and for the Jewish people, and that's saying a lot for them. What is it really going to be like? Unparalleled distress for them. So he's going to pose, the Antichrist is going to pose like a protector and the first half of the tribulation, then he's going to be a destroyer, and then he's going to set up, as as the Scripture says, the abomination of desolation, which is when the Antichrist actually sets up some form of worship to him in the temple, desecrates the temple of God, and then that, when you see that sign, that's where we're talking about Jews fleeing to the hillside, and we'll get into that. Let's get into this passage now. There's basically three attacks that the enemy is described as carrying out or trying to unsuccessfully carry out against the Jews because he's been thrown to the earth for the last time. He's no more, no longer able to go into heaven. He's, he's thrown to the earth, and now he's filled with rage knowing that his time is short. And here's what it says, and when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth. He persecuted the woman. That's Israel, who gave birth to the male child. That's the Messiah. But the two wings of the great eagle, what is that? First of all, the dragon was thrown down to the earth. He's frustrated. He's persecuting Israel. He's persecuting the woman. He, he's persecuting the, the, the one who gave birth to the Messiah. He's chasing and hunting. And and then he is, he's showing here, John is showing here that the woman is going to be protected. Now, let me back up for just a second. If you remember what is called the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus is teaching, he, he, says, he says a lot of this. He explains this. Listen to what, he, what Jesus says. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. It's interesting when you look back at this, there's a lot that it's saying, but it actually parenthetically says, let the reader understand. Jesus is wanting us to understand what this says. This goes back to what I said about perspicuity. The Lord wants us to understand the book of Revelation. He gave it to us. He doesn't want us to read into some allegory. He doesn't want us to try to mystically understand things we're not given. And, and everything that he gives us, he wants us to understand. And everything that he wants us to understand, he gives us. And if he doesn't give it to us, then we don't need it. He doesn't want us to see it. He doesn't. We're on a need to know basis. This was in the military. This is what they'd always say. We're on a need to know basis, which means you don't need to know a whole lot, right? But we're on a need to know basis, and we have everything we need to know in his word. So let the reader understand what's he saying. Jesus is predicting and talking exactly about what Daniel had spoken of, the prophet, and now what John is speaking of. 
So in other words, there's going to be a time when the persecution is so great, like the world has never seen, upon the Jews, that they're going to have to take flight. They're going to have to head for the hills, literally. They're going to receive help from Gentiles. And those saved, you know, regenerate Gentiles in that time will show them uh, great hospitality, protection, and care, even at the... I mean, even at the, I mean, the risk of their own lives. Then it says this, the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and a times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. The literal translation of that, it's obviously not an eagle. Uh, it would be like a vulture, but it's not a vulture. It's symbolic of this flight that they're going to be able to take under the protection of Almighty God. There is strength and protection. And wings in Scripture will refer to strength, but they also refer to, and probably most likely, of protection. I like what it says in Deuteronomy 32, And in the howling waste of a wilderness he encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. This is the essence of, you know, God protecting his people. Remember, all of this is happening according to the sovereign will and plan of God. Nothing in the universe happens outside his sovereign will. And this is happening in his will, in his providence, in what he wants to have happen. Just think of all the times, uh, especially in Psalms, where the idea of a wing is used, or wings. Hide me in the shadow of your wings, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, Psalm 57 says. Psalm 61, let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Psalm 63, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. Psalm 91, we're familiar with this one. Under his wings you may seek refuge. So there's this imagery of an eagle that allowed this woman to be protected, Israel to be protected, and to take flight into the wilderness to a place of safety and of shelter, a place that is not known and not given. Most often, a desolate place is thought of around Jerusalem. This flight is going to take place from Jerusalem, and so a lot of people think it will take place in the mountainous region east of Jerusalem. The word uh, of the Lord doesn't say exactly where, but, but they're taking flight and, and refuge. And, but here's the thing, no matter where they go, it's going to be supernaturally, uh, supernaturally provided for them. And they're going to be nourished. And this, what does this mean, time and times and half a time? This is, this is the second half of the seven years of the tribulation. So then there's going to be a second attack after they take flight. The enemy, even if the enemy knows or Satan knows where they are, he's going to be unable to get to them. God won't allow it. But then it goes on and says, And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that 
he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. This is a symbolic uh, picture as well, a river out of his mouth. It just symbolizes trouble in general. There's this flood, there's this water, this is, this is traumatic, there is trouble that's happening. So he's trying to destroy, uh, he's trying to destroy the Jews. And he's got this flood coming from his mouth is what John is saying, of course, this being symbolic. But then the earth helped the woman and opened up its mouth and drank the river and the, where the dragon was pouring this out of his mouth. This is really uh, reminiscent of what historically happened with the people of Israel in the wilderness with Korah and the rebellion. So the, let me take you back there for a second. Moses is leading the children of Israel. There's a rebellion that happens, and then here's what happens. Moses says this. This is in around Exodus 15 or so. Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord." Then it came about, as he finished speaking, all these words, that the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and all the men who belonged to Korah, with their possessions. So they, and all that belonged to them, went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly." That, that is a fascinating story of God doing what only God can do and really vindicating his called one, vindicating Moses in front of the people. Can you imagine the silence that was then over the people? It's kind of like in the New Testament when uh, they sold land and lied about Ananias and Sapphira. They, they lied about how much money they had received and how much money they were giving, and you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to all the people of God, and you're bringing it, and they were killed instantaneously by God. And it said after that, I'm paraphrasing, but it basically said uh, the, the, the people were afraid. <laughs> I mean, you think so? You think that might happen? Well, imagine the tribulation. The enemy comes against the people of God, and the enemy is cast down to the earth. He's in a last-ditch effort. He's enraged. He's trying everything within his limited power to do something, and maybe it's the volcanic eruptions, maybe it's the the earthquakes, but what? it's God's hand that somehow opens the earth and swallows up all of this that the enemy is trying to do. Could it be that all of those earthquakes and everything shakes and the earth opens up again just like in the days of Moses. Either way, we're reading from Scripture that the enemy's second attack fails, just like his first one. Then the people of God are protected. So the dragon was enraged with the woman, goes on, and went off to make war with the rest of her children, 
which simply means everybody who names the name of Christ during the tribulation. There are going to be so many people swept into the kingdom. All of the elect, all of those that God has preordained and and predestined and chosen, every single one of them, Jesus said, I will not lose one of them. They're all going to be coming into the kingdom, and that's who then the enemy is going after, the rest of her children, to make war with them, all of those who name the name of Jesus Christ, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is a descriptor of what a believer looks like, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Those who hold to the testimony, those who persevere are those who are saved. If if a person doesn't persevere, a person wasn't saved, because all those who are saved persevere, because it's not them who do the saving, and it's not them who do the persevering. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He didn't just save us and justify us and redeem us, but he's also sanctifying us, promising that he will glorify us. It's the same one. It's not, you know, the same spirit that saved you. Walk in that same spirit right? As you begin, then you continue, and then you finish. You don't get halfway there, and then you quit, and so it's all over. No, this is a work that he started in you, and he's going to be faithful to complete it. If the work doesn't get complete, then the work wasn't started by by him. But as sure as he started the work in us, he is going to complete it. No matter what you go through in your life, As a believer, you're going to endure. You are guaranteed to endure because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So these first two attacks don't work. The enemy then goes off to make war with the rest of their children, but those won't work either because all of those who the Lord has chosen and all of those tribulation saints are going to be able to enter into the kingdom of Almighty God. I want to encourage you today that as you read the Word of God, you study the Word of God. You need, to, you need to be with people who study the Word. You need to be in a church of believers, filled with believers that, that love the Word, are Bereans about the Word, study the Word. And you need to be in a church where you have uh, elders and pastors, teachers that care about what the Word of God means. Not just every weekend seeing how you can be encouraged. But see how every single weekend you can hear the truth and know the truth of His Word. And that's my prayer for you, and that's my prayer for me too. So, Father, we thank You for Your wonderful Word. We thank You for the book of Revelation. And I know that You tell us that there's a blessing for those who read it and study it. You also want us to understand it. So, Father, I thank You for for these faithful uh, men like John MacArthur who have written these commentaries and written books and and studied your word, showing themselves approved by you. And Lord, so many, um, so many things that we can look at and, and, and read and, and understand. And Father, I thank you for the ability that you've given me to take what others have said and, and to share it as well. Uh, Lord, I certainly don't take credit for anything that uh, I would say, but Lord, we give all the glory to you, your spirit, and, and we thank you for these men who have gone before us and shown us what your, what your word means. And Father, we thank you. There's clarity in your word. 
We thank you that you long for us and desire for us to understand it, and we have the teacher living inside of us, the Holy Spirit. The author of the book also resides with us, so we thank you for that, Father. God, I pray that we'd live in discernment, we'd live in truth, we would love your truth. We would love, build in us, Father, more and more a great passion and love for your truth. Father, I pray for every listener today that they would be able to deeply desire to find a fellowship, to find a church that where the truth is magnified, where the word is understood and really taught, Father God, that they would grow in you. And uh, give us a greater desire for you. We know that comes from you, Father, and we pray more and more uh, for a, a great desire for you, for your word, and for truth. We thank you, Father, for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.